This is the final word. Good evening and welcome to the final word. I'm Jenna Harner and this is the show that invites you, the fans, into the conversation. You can get your opinion on TV right here every Sunday night. And let's get started by introducing you to tonight's three panelists. Please welcome afternoon host at 105.9 The X, Mark Madden. To quote the great Bob Odenkirk, Jen, me, I'm nobody. You're somebody to us. You're someone to us. <laughs> From our partner at DKPittsburghSports.com, Dan Kovacevic. Jenna, the Pirates don't have a lot of important things to accomplish in 2021, but one of them is getting Mitch Keller right, and boy, is there a lot of work ahead in that regard. Yeah, definitely a tough day for him. And from the Trib, Steelers radio host, Tim Benz. Jenna, I read where the uh, FS1 sports host, Skip Bayless, talked about the Vanderbilt win on Saturday night, excuse me, the uh, Gonzaga win on Saturday night in the NCAA Final Four and just poo-pooed all over it, said it wasn't a very good sporting event. If you can't get something out of that sporting event, then you are in the wrong game and you're in the wrong business. That was beauty. That it was. We will be talking about that. Some of the topics we will be talking about tonight. Give us five words on the Pirates opening series against Chicago. Who needs to be the difference maker for the Bucks early on this season? Debating pulling a pitcher when he's tossing a no-hitter through five-plus innings. And was last night's Gonzaga-UCLA Final Four game an all-time classic? But first, the night's big topic. What concerns you most about the Penguins right now? Mark, we start with you on this one. I'm not much concerned at all. I think that loss at Boston yesterday was just a bad game and the result of Casey DeSmith, who's done yeoman's duty deputizing for Tristan Jari while Jari's hurt, but he's not a number one goalie. And maybe he had to play too many games in a row and perhaps that's where that five goal second period came from. Don't get me wrong, I have confidence Casey will regroup and play well moving forward, but my big worry is very intangible. They're playing tremendous systemic hockey, and they're cheating on the defensive side of the puck. Will that continue when they have their whole lineup healthy? I, I don't know. And if you think I'm questioning Evgeny Malkin in that regard, yes, I am. Day, and your thoughts, what's your concern here? Uh, my concern remains what kind of production that the Penguins are going to get and they can count on from their bottom six. Now, look, Teddy Bluger could be back to practice as early as tomorrow morning. That's great. You could get the Bluger, Tanev, Aston Reese line together again. And then you've got some decisions to make from the six guys that will be available to pick from three. I'm still not feeling that HBK vibe. And I know not everybody likes when you bring that up because it's impossible to replicate that because you had a star player there with Phil Kessel. Well, that's not going to be available to you now, but you still have to get scoring from down there. Maybe it is available, Dejan. Maybe put Zucker on that line. Yeah, but I, that's where I would have him anyway. I still don't think that line will score. Tim, what are your thoughts? Any concerns here with the Pens right now? Yeah, my concern is somewhat similar to Mark in the sense that I do worry about them being able to play within a system when Malkin comes back, when Kapanen comes back, when Latang is playing with Malkin. I think that's a big thing when those two get on the ice together uh, where Mark is speaking to some of those worries but I particularly worry about them after a loss or two losses where they feel like things aren't working and they got to press the envelope and press the puck into the offensive zone and take some more chances after a few losses when it manifests in that regard that's what worries me. 
And this is a team we haven't seen lose more than two in a row this season, too. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Well, a reminder, you can keep the comments coming. You can find us on Twitter at WPXI Final Word, on Facebook at The Final Word. And now it's time for five words. Give us five words on the Pirates opening series against Chicago. Book Rule Double on Twitter says a little bit of everything. Shane O'Morgan says going just about as expected. And PAG162 says we have no Normal baseball, sorta. He's right. Now, Tim, Mark, and Dan, five words on the Pirates opening series in Chicago. Mark, you're first. Really, really, really very exciting, Jenna. Uh, let me use the first game, the openers, a microcosm. There's nothing like a four-hour game played in nearly freezing weather that features 14 walks, including 11 by the Pirates, 15 pitchers, which means 13 relief pitchers, which means, let me see if I can do the math, 104 warm-up pitches. Uh, that is what baseball is all about, constant pitching changes and trying to finagle walks. Uh, I think it will go down, much like the Gonzaga-UCLA game, as one of the great events in the history of that sport. I am totally totally psyched day in your five words it's going like spring did uh, and I say that both in the in the bad and the good sense you weren't getting uh, much that gave you a lot of confidence about the rotation getting you any any innings you saw all kinds of live arms uh, from the bullpen down there in Bradenton and we uh, we saw those again uh, over the weekend in Chicago they were outstanding we saw better offense than what we saw last year, and we saw defense that was kind of spotty. That's what this is going to be. What matters to the Pirates ultimately through 2021 is going to be individual players getting better, especially important guys like Mitch Keller. Tim, your five words. I'll go with four words and one number. Only 159 games are left. Uh, the three down before the end of this season, and we are contained I think now as Pirates fans and people that cover the Pirates uh, to talk about them in the long term to talk about their prospects to talk about the future and not necessarily talk about what's transpiring in the present everything is with a projection so my projection is more about what's going on with Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker that's why I had Vanderbilt on the brain earlier uh, those two guys both pitched again over the weekend and both they both pitched pretty well let's keep an eye on them because that's what's interesting. Who are the Pirates going to draft? Always looking towards the future. Well, still to come, who needs to be the difference maker for the Pirates in this early stretch of the season? Two rings pit saying the starting pitchers got to throw more strikes, walk less people, and go more than three to five innings. More to come as the final word continues. back to the final word. I'm Jenna Harner tonight with Mark Madden, Dane Kovacevic, and Tim Benz. Our second topic of the night, who needs to be the difference maker for the Pirates in the early stretch of the season? Tim, we start with you on this one. The difference maker for the Pirates has to be Cabrian Hayes. He's the only good player worth watching. And I think even in his minimal impact that he had, one for five in the first game, uh, being able to drive in a couple runs when so many other Pirates were left on base to get a two-run homer early showed the kind of uh, excitement and energy and kinetic energy that exists with him. And I don't know how many other Pirates have that. 
Tough to see him go down with an injury, too, as he was put on the 10-day IL. From Facebook, Gerard Joseph asks, is it really going to matter? Dan, your thoughts? Well, some players matter and some don't. And that's why when you see you know, Gregory Polanco have a performance like he did today, he doesn't matter. And I debate whether or not he should even be out there if that's the way he's going to produce because he's not achieving anything for them short-term or long-term. The guy that means it, and I'm going to keep piling on him, is, is Mitch Keller because he matters toward the future, but he has to come through now. He's 25 years old. Sometimes we call these guys kids because they come along at a certain point in their career, but he turned 25 today. Uh, he's not a prospect anymore. He needs to throw the pitches in that vertical rectangle and not be afraid of it. Mark, who has to be the guy here for them in this early stretch of the season? Wait, today was Keller's birthday. It was. He pitched like that on his birthday. He did. <laughs> oh, no. Yikes. Uh, I'm going to go a little more abstract. Uh, if the goal for the Pirates this year, I know we're not supposed to measure them by wins or losses, but if the goal this year is to not lose 100 games, one pitcher has to at least be a semblance of a number one, mm. a stopper. A guy can go out there and give them a good effort just about every time or they're going to have some really really long losing streaks who that is i do not know does anybody have the potential i kind of doubt it but if you want the pirates to not be the worst team in baseball this year somebody has to step up and be that and i'm not so sure it's going to be mitch keller well, to our next topic, we're staying in the baseball realm. Last night, Twins pitcher Jose Barrios was pitching a no-hitter against the Brewers when he was pulled after six innings and 84 pitches. It's a timeless debate regarding when a pitcher, or regarding a pitcher when he's tossing a no-hitter through five-plus innings. So make your best argument here for when to keep a guy in versus when to take him out in this situation. Dan, we start with you on this Well, I mean, first of all, 30 out of 30 managers would have taken him out, maybe even a little earlier than that. Uh, it has been a timeless debate, not really in April. Uh, when you're not built up, you don't have the amount of uh, starts in spring training to have anybody come out of spring built up to 100 pitches. And that's been true for a really long time. That's not a recent thing. Uh, I, to me, I look at it, if you want Berrios to stay in there to get the no-hitter, if that's your thought process, Think about how many pitches he'd have to throw in his very first start of the season. I, I, I don't even see the, the discussion here. I really don't. Well, to Twitter, Terry E says if he still has good stuff and is showing no signs of fatigue, let him pitch. This 100-pitch count threshold to pull guys is ridiculous. That's right. Let his arm fall off. <laughs> Tim, Jameson Tyons fell off anyway, and they babied did. him. It did. Tim, what say you? Oh, I think the 100-pitch reference is the most interesting part of that. I'll disagree with Dayon to a degree. Not that they should have left him out there to chase the no-hitter, but... You know, he was at 85 pitches and was cruising along so much he didn't even realize he was close to a no-hitter. So I would have said with the game in doubt, such as it was, because wasn't it a dueling no-hitter? Like, wasn't it a dueling perfect game almost through six with both sides? Yeah. The game was still in doubt. So, you know, you're hurting your team with a chance potentially to win the game by picking, pulling him out that quickly at 85. I would have given him at least another inning, regardless of the no-hitter thing. He was only at 85 pitches. Let him get closer to 100. Let's see if he can knock out the Brewers in the next inning in 10 pitches. Mark, your thoughts? A, it's a spectator sport. B, it's built on legendary moments, perhaps more than any other sport. If 30 out of 30 managers would have taken Berrios out in that situation, that's why baseball is a pathetic shell of its former self. If baseball was managed then like it is now, 
Don Larson would have been lifted from his perfect game in the sixth inning. Johnny double no-hit Vandermeer would be Johnny pitch comp nobody Vandermeer. <laughs> do we want to see legendary moments or do we want to be buried under a heap of boring analytics? People say if you don't like it, don't watch. Guess what? I'm not. Well, from the diamond to the court, I don't know about you guys, but I am still watching the final seconds of overtime from last night's thriller between Gonzaga and UCLA. And yes, I'm calling it a thriller because in my mind, it was. There's a lot of talk about this game being an all-time classic. Was this truly one of them? Mark, you're up first. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I heard it was going to overtime because I'm not interested in college basketball, to be quite honest. But I saw on Twitter it was going to overtime, so I watched the overtime. And it was brilliant. Uh, the one thing I will say, and it's a bit of a disclaimer, is it was a lucky shot to win it. Because nobody wants to take that shot. The kid kissed it off the glass. Again, lucky, but that doesn't lessen the accomplishment or the excitement level of the game. I spoke a moment ago about legendary moments. That shot in that situation to get Gonzaga to the championship game is a legendary moment. It's an all-time classic. Friend of the show, Matt Mazel, saying on Twitter, it's top five, no doubt, Duke, Kentucky, Duke, UNLV, Villanova, UNC, and I'll throw in QC UConn 6 OT for personal reasons. I'm not a fan of that one. <laughs> Day in your thoughts. No, a couple of thoughts. One is that it was neat to me to see people watching and enjoying a Final Four game. You see and hear so many people when they talk about the NCAA tournament, it's all about their brackets and it's the first couple rounds and they do tune out. It's a strange tournament in that regard that it loses interest the deeper it goes. That was one thing that was cool. Second thing was, man, it'd be nice to have big time college basketball back in Pittsburgh. You know, it's been a long time since a game of any consequence or any school has been played here. I wouldn't hold my breath. No, neither would I right now. <laughs> Tim, how about you? Was this an all time classic? Yeah, it was an all-time classic for sure for the sport. I know not only was it big for viewership on CBS, but it's also big for the legacy of Gonzaga if they managed to beat Baylor on Monday night. Because for as much as you would have thought it would have been better for them to go through two number one seeds in the Final Four to get the undefeated season in Michigan and in Baylor, in a weird way, them being pushed to the limit after beating the entire country by double digits or more every game since December the 2nd, this way in this game and how it ended, that actually adds to the legacy, I think, of Gonzaga because now it's a memorable, spectacular moment and a memorable, spectacular game. Going to be exciting on Monday for sure. Well, when we come back around the horn on any topic, the final word is next. gets a chance. Tim, you're up first. I was thinking a lot about the Steelers and the NFL draft this week, and it struck me that the Steelers have done so much this offseason to create holes on their roster. They've actually kind of put themselves in a perfect situation. They can't go wrong. I mean, they can pick the wrong guy. Any team can do that any year. But in terms of positions to address, in terms of things that they're trying to fix, they've created so much of a mess for themselves with how guys have gone and not being able to replace them in free agency. Any hole they try to patch, how can you blame them for it? Running back, offensive tackle, inside linebacker, corner. And even if they want to start planning for quarterback in the future, 
may not be a bad thing. Mark, your final word. Ever since the Penguins got Mike Matheson and he played a couple bad games to start his Penguins tenure, people said right away, oh, you'll never be able to trade that contract because I believe he signed through 2052 or something like that. <laughs> but ever since then, I'm thinking, why would you want to trade him at all? Mm -hmm. The guy's played great. His offensive instincts are funky, off the charts, and hard to stop. And he's getting better defensively. One thing Pittsburgh fans got to get away from, and maybe fans everywhere, don't judge a guy in perpetuity by your first look at him. Matheson started a bit bad. He's been nothing but great ever since. And that goal he scored last Thursday at Boston was the stuff Bobby Orr's made of. It was a beauty. Day in your final word. Jenna, more than half of the Vancouver Canucks roster has come down with a serious illness of, of the variant of COVID-19. And we're still seeing it hit sports. There's a part of me that wonders, especially after asking both the Penguins and the Pirates in the past week, if they have any plans for vaccination, they just back off it. And I'm not sure that I understand that. I understand they're not the, the infirmed and they're not elderly but they're being asked to do something with no masks and competing the way they are. I, I, I wouldn't be as hesitant as they seem to be about pushing to get athletes vaccinated. And now our final word from social media, Jim K on Twitter, hashtag my final word. Glad the Bucks home opener is this Thursday and not last Thursday, hashtag opening day snow. Yeah, I'm happy about that one too because I will most likely be at that game and it'd be nice to not have some snow. Well, as the men's and women's NCAA tournaments come to an end and as Pittsburgh gets set to host the Frozen Four this week, a little shout out here to all the college athletes this season and what they've been able to accomplish in the midst of a global pandemic Nonetheless, these kids have sacrificed so much to be able to play their respective sports much more than they already do as a student athlete. And in a time filled with so much uncertainty, they were able to weather the storm and accomplish those goals.